Hello, and welcome back to the A to Z Animal Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Baraka, and of course, any little bird noises you may hear is my unofficial co-host, Pickle, my canary wing parakeet. She is very cute, so I highly recommend you check her out on Instagram at Pickle the Canary Wing. So sorry I had to delay this week's episode. The past few weeks of my semester have been all-consuming, and I had no time to do research for the show. But here we are, ready to go. Before we dive in, remember you can find all my sources linked in the show notes and transcript, which are available on our website, the A to Z Animal Podcast.com, under the Episodes tab. Resources to help this week's animal will also be linked there. Additionally, any ecology terminology that may be used often most likely can be found on our glossary page. I will be defining words that we may not encounter as often in an individual episode. If you have any feedback or recommendations for a letter, feel free to contact me at Mickey Barra or at A to Z Animal Pod on Twitter and Instagram. There's also a form that you can fill out for animal suggestions on our website. Even if we've done that letter, still feel free to submit as hopefully we have the chance to circle back around. We started with A for I.I., our weird little lemur friend, followed by B for Binturong, the bear cat, and then C for Caracal, or the desert lynx. After that, we discussed a long-overlooked dole, or Asiatic wild dog, and critically endangered European mink. From there, we talked about my new favorite crocodilian, the Foscariol, and then the possibly extinct Glaucus macaw. We then learned about the largest eagle in the Americas, the harpy eagle, and the scarlet honeycreeper, or the eevee. Last time, we discussed the most endangered mammal in the world, the Javan rhinoceros. Today, we will learn about the kakapoer, a critically endangered New Zealand parrot that always brings a smile to my face. And no, this is not a breed of dog, that's cockapoo this is cockapoor before we jump into the scientific name i want to do a quick refresher on what makes a parrot a parrot we learned in the episode g is for glaucus mccall that parrots are any of the nearly 400 species belonging to the citisiforms we also learned that among this there are three super families Cytocordia, the true parrots which claim species like the glaucus mccall and our very own pickle the canary wing parakeet cockatoidia the cockatoos and the strigopoidia or the New Zealand parrots. As I just implied, the kakapoor is a member of the Strigopordia. The reason that New Zealand gets its own superfamily is because these birds were most likely isolated from the supercontinent Godwana around 82 million years ago. Over those years, they evolved in an isolated environment, making them genetically different from other classifications of parrots. This superfamily contains at least three genera of birds, Nestor, Strigops, and the fossil Nepalsitakis? We're going with that. There are a few other fossil species that seem to be up for debate as to where they fit into the grand scheme of parrot relationships. And today, we are looking specifically at the Strigops genus, as a scientific name for cockapore is Strigops harbotilis. Strigops comes from two Greek words, strix meaning owl and ops meaning appearance or face. Now as also probably a good time to inform you that some people call this the owl parrot because they do have a weird owl-like face which we will talk about later. Habrotilis comes from a combination of two Greek words, habros meaning soft and tilion meaning feather. Now I don't know if these birds have extra soft feathers as I have never had the opportunity to meet one in real life but I will tell you that from owning pickle Parrots do have extremely soft feathers. Like, I'm not joking. My family is one of the softest dogs they've ever met. Ironically, a cockapoo. And Pickle is softer than her. 
So altogether, the cockapoor's scientific name means owl-faced soft feather, and I feel like that's a fair description of them, and one of the more creative scientific names we have encountered on the show. We'll talk a little bit more about where in New Zealand these parrots call home, but first, I want to address the owl face in the room. Well, owls are known for having facial discs of fine feathers and a flatter face. The cockapoor has a similar facial disc, and its face does resemble that of owls. Additionally, it has fine feathers that resemble the, quote, whiskers of an owl. Really, if you look at a picture of these guys, the name makes sense. Like, they look like a big parrot, but with an owl's face. So why isn't this just a green owl? Well, if you remember back to the Glaucus McCall, there are some characteristic features that make a parrot a parrot, such as zygodactyl feet. Those characteristics, plus the understanding of New Zealand parrots being so long diverged from most other parrots, makes it a parrot. I was going to say a true parrot, but I guess it isn't because the Sequidia superfamily are the true parrots. Now this bird isn't solid green. There are some yellow and black mixing on their feathers. Their beak and legs are gray with pale soles. Adult cockapores can measure 58 to 64 centimeters or 23 to 25 inches long. These birds are often confused with similarly moss green birds that are also New Zealand parrots called the kaka and the key. Fun fact real quick, these birds aren't really green. Only one type of bird is known to have truly green pigment, giving their green coloration. Birds like the cockapoor and pickle have a complex of yellow and blue pigments overlapping, causing them to appear green. In reality, only the terracos possess green pigmentation. The more you know. Okay, let's talk about geography real quick. Obviously, these guys are native to New Zealand, as they're New Zealand parrots, but New Zealand is not just a singular landmass. In 1930, these guys were extirpated from the North Island, but this disappearance was a long time coming as their population declined after the arrival of the Maori people around 1320. After the removal from the North Island, they persisted on the Southern Island in the wetter regions. In the 1980s, the last individuals died out in the Fiordland, a region in the southwest of the South Island. But not all hope was lost for these birds, as in 1977, a population of under 200 individuals was found on Stewart Island. But due to the cat population, as cats make great pets, uh, they do have a tendency to destroy native wildlife, this population was rapidly declining as well. Because of this, in the 80s and 90s, the cockapoor was relocated to Wanahuahua, or Codfish Island, which is off the coast of Stewart Island, as well as Maud Island in the Marlborough Sounds, and Haraturu, or Little Barrier Island, in the Makuri Gulf. Since then, the birds have been moved around between Maud Island and Haraturu, and as of recently, the newly predator-free Chalky and Anchor Islands in the Fjordland. Currently, these birds only inhabit forested islands, but before the introduction of predators to New Zealand, it is believed that they utilize a variety of habitats. That being said, I also read that they occupy a variety of habitats and altitudes, but it's hard to tell if this information is from the past or present day. Either way, according to the Edge of Existence, part of the Zoological Society of London, they utilize forest, scrubs, herb fields, and tussock grasslands, as well as previously unfamiliar habitats, such as pasture land. One of the reasons this species of bird was so susceptible to invasive predators is because it's flightless. Because of this, these birds weigh 2 to 9 pounds, or 9.5 to 4 kilograms. 
typically birds evolve to reduce body weight, but because these guys are ground foragers that are perpetually on the ground, it is not as important that these birds remain light. As such, this species is the heaviest of all parrot species, weighing about 400 grams more than the largest flying parrot, the hyacinth macaw. Being stuck on the forest floor, these birds have evolved to fill similar ecological niches as nocturnal mammals that forage on the forest floor. Oh yeah, these are nocturnal parrots. It's actually fairly uncommon for birds to be nocturnal. Not even all owls, a type of bird which is commonly associated with the night, are nocturnal. In fact, there are only 17 species known to be fully nocturnal, and the cockapore is the only parrot species on that list. Interestingly enough, the kiwi, another species of flightless New Zealand bird, is also on that list. While most parrots that walk prefer an upright stance, the cockapore explores the forest floor in a more horizontal position, with its beak close to the ground. If startled or threatened, it may stand straight up like its relatives. They also have the ability to climb into trees, and when they jump down, they may flap their wings. This is not an attempt to fly, but rather an attempt to control the fall. Unlike most parrot species that form strong flock bonds, these parrots are largely solitary, with the exception of during the mating season, which we'll talk about later. These birds are entirely herbivorous, eating entirely plants. They enjoy fruit from the tips of high rimu branches, orchid tubers, which they remove from the ground, and supple jack vines. Cockapore almost exclusively feed on key foods when they are abundant, and the most common of these is the plentiful rimu fruit, which is full of calcium and vitamin D. It is also helpful that this fruit is plentiful around the breeding season. Scientists are able to tell when a cockapore has enjoyed a snack as they leave behind small crescent-shaped chews. According to the New Zealand Department of Conservation, Quote, cockapore often browse through foliage by passing it through their bill from bottom to top, using their feet to pull it through. They chew and compress the foliage against the roof of their finely ridged upper mandible and suck out the nutrients. All that is left is a fibrous ball hanging off the plant. Scientists and conservationists also provide supplementary feeding to help with conservation, but we'll discuss this in a bit. The nice thing about being a flightless bird in New Zealand is that there are no land predators native to New Zealand. In fact, the only real predator on the islands are birds of prey. That being said, many invasive predators have caused the decline of these birds, which, again, we'll discuss in a moment. I hinted at this earlier, but kakapoor breeding is tied to fruit abundance, specifically rimu fruit. Because of this, kakapoor only breed in the summer and autumn, but only if this food resource is readily available. This means that if for some reason there is not an abundance of rimu fruit, these birds most likely will skip reproduction for the year. Actually, they skip it for about two to four years as rimu trees only produce fruit every two to four years. Real quick, some areas of New Zealand where these birds call home do not have rimu trees, and therefore there are other plants that serve as mating triggers for the species. Some regions thought that they nest when the southern beach seeded, but others, such as Hatoru, scientists are unsure what plant plays this role. When the trees do fruit and mating occurs, these animals utilize leks to breed. A lek is a method of mating where a group of at least two males come together and perform courtship displays in an attempt to woo females. 
Many different species utilize this behavior, but personally, I first heard about it in turkeys. That being said, while other bird species do it around the world, the cockapoor is the only parrot species and the only New Zealand bird that utilizes this method. During breeding season, the males will call from a track and bowl systems. I'm going to do my best to explain this, but I'll be real. I'm not entirely sure I understand what this means. The males meet on these breeding grounds, which they either make or maybe were there previously. It's unclear to me. But they have these specially dug out hollows or bowls. These bowls are then linked together via tracks. These bowls are meticulously maintained by the males, and they even clip the vegetation along the tracks. Oh, also, apparently the males may walk up to four miles to reach this area where they make the track and bowl system. Oh, and apparently they make bowls with rock faces nearby to echo their booming calls. Once the male is in the bowl, they will make a loud, low-frequency booming call, aptly named booming, which can be heard up to three miles away. After about 20 to 30 booms, the males will switch to a chinging, which I've read as being a loud wheezing call, as well as a high-pitched metallic ching. Here's an example of these calls. Oh, and while we're on the topic of noises, both sexes make loud, high-pitched scrack calls, which, of course, is called scracking. The booming and the chinging seem to be solely part of courtship. Oh, and this booming and chinging can go on for eight hours a night, every night, for the entire breeding season, which is about two to four months. Scientists are not sure what makes a female select a particular mate, but it's clear that some males are the favorite as multiple females will select him while others go overlooked. After breeding, males really have no part in childcare as they do not help with incubation or chick rearing. Females will nest on or underground in natural cavities such as hollow trees or caves made by rocks and roots or under dense vegetation. She will then lay one to four eggs in a shallow depression in the soil or rotten wood depending on where she's nesting. These eggs are then repeatedly turned over before and during incubation. After about 30 days, cockapoor chicks are hatched. Because the mother is the sole provider for the nest, she must leave the nest unattended at night to find food for her babies. This was okay, as there was no predators on the island, so nothing was going to swoop up her babies. Side note, yes, birds of prey that call New Zealand home are predators, but raptors tend to be diurnal with the exception of the owl. And yes, New Zealand does have the more porks, which are owls and hunt at night, but compared to the other ecosystems, the babies are pretty safe being left alone. At 10 weeks old, the babies are ready to fledge, but mothers often feed their young for up to six months. It is believed that at about nine months, the chicks are fully independent and have already molted into their mossy green color. At about five to six years, these parrots will be old enough to have chicks of their own. Yes, this is fairly late in the game for a bird species, but that's because of the longevity of this species. Some sources I've read have them living 50 to 65 years, but this is a severe underestimate according to the most up-to-date sources.
The cockapore is the longest lived bird species in the world with a lifespan of up to 90 years. Yeah, there's a cockapore out there older than my grandparents. The long lifespan most likely was able to evolve because they didn't have to invest energy into avoiding predation. So instead they adapted to live longer because those who lived longest produced the most babies. Believe it or not, I've got some more fun facts other than the fact that these are the longest living and largest parrots in the world. Most birds don't really rely on their sense of smell, as unlike mammals who evolved in the dark, they had time to hone in on their vision. Because of this, birds have better eyesight while mammals tend to have a better sense of smell. But the cockapoor actually has a great sense of smell, as much like the mammals I just mentioned, it evolved at night. As such, cockapores have a smell to them, which, yes, is abnormal. Most birds don't smell like anything unless they just ate something really potent. Like, I can tell when Pickle just ate a pepper, but that's about it. But cockapores are said to smell good with a musty, sweet odor to them. This is believed to help them find one another in the dark. However, with the introduction of predators to the island, it also helps them finding this bird. Cockapores are incredibly friendly. Like some other species native to islands without predators, they have no real scared response. Sure, when startled, a cockapore may freeze up and try to blend in with the background, but they aren't known to be apprehensive towards people. In fact, when George Edward Gray described the bird in 1845, he said it was more like that of a dog than a bird. Another fun fact about these guys is that they're thought to be the only lek breeding species to have evolved without the presence of predatory mammals which is somewhat of an interesting association that I'm not quite sure has been linked, but I still think the fact was interesting. I'll be real. I feel like this episode has been just fun facts because the cockapore is just that fun. But I want to talk about something that has allowed them to be the way that they are, the geographical history of New Zealand. Around 80 million years ago, New Zealand broke away from the supercontinent Gondwana. Now, if you're interested in plate tectonics, I highly recommend looking into exactly when the different supercontinents broke up, but for now, just know that Australia was part of that supercontinent. Now, New Zealand is 4,157.41 kilometers or 2,583.3 miles from Australia. And while that number may not have been as great 80 million years ago, we, we can assume that somewhere around that time, all the animals that were on New Zealand landmass were unable to go back to Gondwana and vice versa. This means that over the last 80 million-ish years, New Zealand has been genetically isolated from all other ecosystems. It is because of this small, well, compared to other land masses, area being so isolated that these animals have been able to become the weird little creatures they are. Now, that's a very brief overview of how they evolved to be, but I highly recommend looking more into New Zealand's flora and fauna and think about how this isolation provided the perfect habitat for all these weird and wonderful species. But these islands that these species call home were not isolated forever. About 700 years ago, the Maori people settled in New Zealand, and in true human fashion, we immediately started to cause the decline of the species. This problem was amplified, as most problems do, with European settlers. These birds, who never had to evade a predator, suddenly were dealing with the most dangerous one of all. Humans. On top of the modern-day problems we provide for these animals like climate change and rising sea levels, European settlers led to deforestation and extirpation of the cockapores from much of their home range, which I discussed earlier. On top of that, they brought with them their pets and accidental stowaways, rats. Outdoor cats, rats, mice, and dogs all began to fill a long, empty role of predator. Those babies that were so carelessly left alone while the mother foraged? They sure make a nice snack for a rat. 
And of course, we also brought along with us disease that took hold in their population and caused their numbers to further decline. Now, as we try to bolster the population, these birds face issues that accompany genetic bottlenecks and inbreeding, as well as infertility. With all these factors considered, it should come to no surprise that according to the IUCN Red List, these birds are critically endangered. And in fact, as of June 2020, there were only 210 birds left. But I actually have some good news for you. These birds are increasing in number. In fact, some of the slightly outdated sources I've read had their numbers under 100. The efforts that have been put into place are actually showing positive outcomes. At the forefront of most of these efforts is the New Zealand Department of Conservation itself. They have a team of conservationists dealing with disease outbreaks, including the fungal infection, aspergillosis, reforming research studies to understand how to increase the species longevity in the face of decreased diversity, and care to ensure that these birds are ready come breeding season. One of the main ways this team is working to help increase cockapore reproduction is by providing supplementary feeding. They provide supplemental pellets to the birds, which have been shown to increase egg production in breeding years, maintain the birds' reproductive health, and help mothers feed their chicks if and when there's a remove fruit shortage. If I can find it, I will link a short video on the supplemental feeding that I was shown in my evolution course when I was first introduced to the species a little over a year ago. Oh, and all 200 birds have radio collars on them so scientists can better understand their patterns and what they can do to improve the quality of life for these wonderful birds. Oh, and of course they all have names. Like, every photo of a cockapore you'll find, it will tell you who it is, which I love. The New Zealand Department of Conservation also has a program where you can adopt a cockapore, which of course I will link to on my website if you want to support these efforts. I have to say the New Zealand government is killing it with their conservation efforts as pretty much every other one I find links back to them. So shout out to New Zealand for protecting your beautiful wildlife. Additionally, Edge of Existence has efforts to help the species as well, again linked on our site. I've also linked some articles that go more in depth on the conservation efforts that are currently underway. I hope you enjoyed learning about the owl parrot with me. Feel free to follow at A to Z Animal Pod on Instagram and Twitter for updates about upcoming episodes. With the semester underway, it is especially important if you want to know if I'll miss a week as sometimes exams just take precedence over the podcast. And if you've made it this far, please feel free to give me some feedback, be it over social media or email. All my contact information can be found on the A to Z Animal Podcast.com. What do you think I did well? What topic do you think I glossed over too fast? Do you want longer episodes, shorter episodes? Any feedback is so highly appreciated as I am brand new to hosting a podcast. There are probably a million things I could improve on. Thank you so, so much for listening to the A to Z Animal Podcast. I'm Michaela Baratka, and I hope you'll tune in next time as we move on to the letter L for loggerhead sea turtle, our first marine species. Have a good day and stay safe. Habrotella, habrobatillus, habrobatillus, hibrotillus, hibrotillus, habro, hab.